Well, let's get into some word today. What do you say? Uh, if you brought a Bible, turn with me to the book of John, the fourth chapter. John chapter 4. Last week, I began a new series of messages beginning here in John chapter 4. If you missed last week, these teachings are all available on our website or on the app if you have a smartphone, Uh, as long as it's not, you know, that third tier smartphone that we won't mention their name. The app doesn't work on that phone, but it does on those top two. That is the Apple and the Android. It works on those two. So uh, you can get all these audios, and uh, and soon, actually, we're looking to start streaming as well. And uh, and so, you know, I know I talked to one individual uh, a few months back, and they wa- they don't attend our church, but uh, they watch our television program regularly. And and in the conversation when it came out that the stuff that's on television is not live. Uh, uh, they were highly disappointed. <laughs> they were quite taken back. They thought they were watching what was happening that day. And it was like three months ago. <laughs> anyway. Uh, soon it will be. It will be. That's our plan to uh, move things along that way. Is uh, we can, we'll, be, we'll be able to broadcast live as well as have the television broadcast. And, uh, and, and that's not so you can stay home. <laughs> that's another teaching right there <laughs> it's good that we come together and uh, but just so we can have our reach and go further and uh, reach more praise the Lord so anyway part one is on uh, those vehicles and t- today we want to get into this some more true worship ready for true worship even the statement implies that there could be and there is false worship and we want to avoid that like the plague, right? John chapter 4, I want to pick up here in the 19th verse. The woman said to him, him being Jesus, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, and you Jews say that in Jerusalem is the place where one ought to worship. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, The hour is coming when you will neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We know what we worship for salvation is of the Jews. But the hour is coming and now is when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such to worship Him. God is spirit, and those who worship Him must worship in spirit and in truth. And so Jesus here qualified what type of worship the Father likes, the type of worshiper He is seeking, and He used this language of spirit and truth, which contrasted then what this woman was thinking, and many in their day did, and some still today do, that worship would need to take place in a certain location, or, uh, you know, in Jerusalem or on this mountain. He qualified worship as far as true worship coming from a place of spirit and truth. 
All right. In other words, one way we can say this is it originates in the spirit of man that has been reunited with the spirit of God. Through the new birth, death was taken out, the sin nature was removed, and now we are alive in Christ and we can worship the Father on a whole nother level. And it's not about where you go, it's not about all the natural things that people do, it is about a connection with God. And if someone is endeavoring to worship God outside of a genuine connection with Him, their worship falls flat. Their worship doesn't, it doesn't reach the heart of God. And this is what happens and continues to happen in the world today is people have substituted all kinds of religious forms, their ways, man's ways, and they do these things ritualistically and religiously thinking that God is pleased with it when He wants a true connection. He wants, wants a genuine, authentic relationship that supersedes where we go and, 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 and how we perform our religious activities and is, it, 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 it really is defined by a love relationship. And when that is present, true worship can happen. But outside of that, even if the song is good, you know, even if the form is right, even if we're, we're doing things like lifting our hands, that is, uh, that are things that are in Scripture, that can't replace and substitute that genuine connection with God. And so, when we talk about this, let me, let me be clear from you know, my motive and my approach to this, I'm not endeavoring to look at an individual and say what you're doing is not real or not true. Or and to look at individuals and say true, false, true, false, you know, worship, not at all. Uh, ultimately, I can be a, a bad judge of that just like we all can because we're not always uh, seeing what's happening on the inside. And I know that ultimately inside is reflected outwardly and can be observed. Uh, We're just not completely accurate in our assessment of every individual and what's really happening in their life. So I'm I'm not talking about true worship to knock someone down. Or to say your, uh, what you're doing is not real, but rather so you can look at yourself, so I can look at me. I, I want to know what I'm doing is, is the real thing with God. Not what someone else thinks about what I'm doing. That really doesn't matter. Who cares what someone else thinks? Do I have a relationship with the Lord? Would He call it true worship? See, and, and then, so my responsibility is me first. And, and then, of course, my assignment is, is to pastor and to lead people. So I want to make sure for us that we have, can, you know, the real thing going on here. Can't guarantee it in every individual. But if I can set you up, if I can give you uh, some inspiration, if I can give you some instruction, so you can personally go higher, go deeper, if you will. Have a connection with God that's greater than, uh, you know, what you've had before. Or what you may have defined in your past as as being the real thing, then I've done my job. I, I know this, that um, I cannot truly help someone. I mean truly help them if I don't have a real strong love relationship connection with the Father. We can't, as a, as a church, have 
uh, truly help people, truly help our community, help the world around us if we personally don't have it going on. And that's what, that's what I think we fall into sometimes with religious traps. We get to going through the motions and, and, and we look outwardly like everything's great, like we're doing everything that God wants, but inwardly there's, a, there's, a, there's a, an absence of life, an absence of fire, an absence of connection, that, that, and a connection that works to evidence of, of God's presence. And we're trying to do all these things, and it doesn't really work. It doesn't really, it doesn't really help anyone uh, truly. I, I was uh, talking to someone a while back. I know this guy who's uh, got a strong uh, prophetic anointing in his life, sees things and knows things that, that the average person doesn't. One, of the, one, one thing he experienced one day, and maybe this has happened multiple times, but uh, I was told of this one. He was driving through a city, not our city, in another state, and uh, on a Sunday morning drove by a particular church, this church is, you know, booming, so to speak, uh, doing well from all outward observance, growing. Uh, it's, you know, people observe it from the outside, say that's one happening place. You know, a lot of activity going on there. Anyway, this is what he said as he went by that the Lord showed him. He said there, the Lord said, there is one person in that building that has a connection with me. One. And... Uh, now, he wasn't saying that there was only one saved person. Wasn't, it, that, that wasn't the revelation from what I understand him to be saying. He wasn't saying there was one saved person, but one person had a real connection with the Father. And I thought, ha, yikes. Yikes. See, I say, I'm not, my, my, my reaction to that is, oh yeah, those turkeys, those bad people. No, I immediately go, uh, okay, this is an image, a viewpoint from heaven, not from man. In other words, it's a revelation. So it's not, it's, not, it's not man's perspective on church. It's God's perspective. So then I'm looking at me. If I were in the building, would there be two? <laughs> you know what I mean? Or have I deceived myself and I'm going through the motions? I'm doing the right things. I'm singing the right songs. And, and, and I, I'm carrying my life in a certain way that to me defines relationship with God. But does it to Him? Does it look like that from a spiritual heavenly perspective? And then I think, okay, I've got a responsibility. And you know when scripture, teachers, pastors, leaders are held to a higher account? I start thinking about us. And what if the revelation came concerning us here? How many would there be? What percentage might there be? From God's definition, how many would he say have a true, genuine connection with me. And I thought, not sure I want to know the answer. <laughs> Just in case it's not as good as I hope it might be. Nevertheless, what I can do is, is uh, try to stir us up. And best I know how, I mean, I, I've got a connection with the Lord. That's my belief about myself. I know I'm hearing from God. I know his, there's evidence of Him in my life. I'm not saying it can't be greater because I need to go up. I need to move forward and, 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 and go farther. Uh, but I want to help you if you want. Whatever I can do, whatever part I can play in giving you the goods to 
in one sense, turn your back on the things of this world and the flesh and turn your back on, on religion and those ways that, that have a form of godliness but deny power so that we can, as a regular part of our lives, be able to testify of God's goodness, testify of His grace and His presence that, are, that is with us in the home and in our marriage and on the job and, and everywhere we go. Oh yeah, and then also at church when we come together. Because we've got to get beyond this idea that worship is the first 20 minutes of service. Huh? I mean, that's certainly part of it. And hopefully we enter in and and we have a connection and we fellowship with the Lord and honor Him and and we ought to do that. But if that's all it is, how many know uh, we've missed the boat by a mile? And if really that's all there is, if we were to take all of our, our week and, and 24 times 7, whatever that is, and figure out how many hours there are in a week, and then, you know, and then we worship, and if, our, if worship is defined in us by our song service, you know, worship is defined just in, a, in that limited capacity, we've got some pretty pathetic lives, don't we? But if worship is defined by the broader scope of what we're, we've begun to study in Scripture, it's not just that, but that's an expression, that's part of it, but it encompasses our whole lives, then we've got to come down to the place where we ask ourselves, am I really glorifying God with my life, with my body, with my mind, with everything I have to do? Is it happening on Sunday afternoon as well? as Is it happening on Monday? Is it happening on Tuesday? Not just during select times when we come together. Because how many think if there was a, a real life of worship that took place throughout our day, throughout our week, throughout our lives, that when we come together and we have a few minutes to get it on and just get it going, how many think it, it, we raise the roof? <laughs> how many think that the, the level of, of spirituality, the water table of God's involvement in our lives goes way up? And we have services that are just off the hook. I mean, I mean just, just experiencing God. Pastor PJ, where, oh, he's in the youth service. I want to say boom. You know, <laughs> uh, praise God. Amen. But I tell you, a lot of man's ways, a lot of religion uh, and tradition can be a hindrance to a genuine connection with God. Let's talk some more about presenting our bodies. Go with me uh, to, uh, well, go to, first, uh, go to Romans 6. Go to Romans 6. We talked a little bit about Romans chapter 12 last week. And remember, the Bible says that when we present our bodies as a living sacrifice to Him, that that is spiritual worship. It's not just the lifting of our hands and singing of, 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 of praise songs, but it is the offering of our bodies, not our spirits per se. I mean, that's another thing there. But our bodies, the part of us that hasn't been born again. Because how many know when you, when you got saved, you received Jesus in your life. If you were bald, you're still bald right? If you were short, you're still short. If you were tall, you're still tall. If you were uh, whatever, all right? Your body stayed the same, but your spirit was born again. So a born again spirit now, a person who has a relationship with God, they need to take the outward man and offer to the Lord as a sacrifice. In other words, we kill its desires, we kill its fleshly uh, pursuits, and we say, Lord, this belongs to you now. And that, that in scripture is called worship. It is our spiritual act of worship. And I think sometimes people will get a lot deeper and go a lot further in God by worshiping with presenting their body than they will just with closing their eyes and, and saying some wonderful things about the Lord. 
But really, it all goes hand in hand and, and works together. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 9, 27, he said, I discipline my body and bring it into subjection, lest by any means when I have preached to others, I myself should become disqualified. And so Paul, man of great revelation, understood the grace of God, understood salvation like, like few do. And he said, well, you know what I do with my body? I discipline it. Uh, so it, it means I buffet it. I beat it like a boxer. I keep it down. He's talking about his fleshly desires. He say, I get rough with myself because if I don't, my body will dominate me and I'll do things I don't want to do. I'll do things that will disqualify me from standing before you to preach the gospel. And so he got, got strong with his body. Uh, Romans chapter 6. Many of you have found that location. Romans chapter 6 verse 12. 6 and 12. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body that you should obey it in its lusts. Now consider that. Who should not let sin reign? Well, we should. It's, it's, it's you, the understood subject. You. Don't let sin reign in you. Don't let sin dominate you. Sometimes people feel like, I'm doing what I want. I'm, I'm doing what feels good. I'm doing what I enjoy. And really, they're being duped by sin. They think, this is me. This is all about me. This is my, uh, this is my thing. I go on. No, you're being defined by your fleshly desires and by uh, the spirit of disobedience in this world that would, that would tempt you and draw you into certain activity. That's not who you are. Listen, if you've been born again, you've been made free from sin. If you've given your life to Jesus, you've been set up in a position over sin and death and the things of this world, over Satan. The Bible says that we've been seated with Christ in heavenly places. That means we're looking down on all the junk. And this is positionally in Christ. But uh, what, what's, what's said here, because of that reality, because of that position we have in Christ, we have victory over it. He said, now, don't let it rain in your body. Just because you're born again, you're saved in spirit, don't let sin still exist and dominate you in your, in your body. Why would I not want to do that? Well, one, I don't want to be a slave. Two, I, don't want, to, uh, I, I, want, I want the Lord to be glorified in me. And if, if worship is connected to what happens in my body, I must dominate my flesh, my body. I must dominate the outward part of me and not let sin reign over it. Don't be subject to it. We're already free. Uh, verse 13, And do not present your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin, but present yourselves to God as being alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. Now think about that language. Present yourselves to God. Okay, now, now we do that, right? I mean, that's one of the things we do when we're singing, we're worshiping. We are presenting ourselves to the Lord. We're honoring Him. But how do we present ourselves? As instruments, <laughs> thank you, not as instruments of unrighteousness, but we present ourselves as being alive from the dead, as being alive from the dead. How do I approach God? How do I present myself to Him? I'm alive. I'm victorious over death, hell, and the grave because I'm in Christ. 
Here, here's what I'm saying. Uh, defeat doesn't glorify the Lord. A, a position that we might, oh Lord, help me, I'm just worthless, I'm just, uh, I'm just a loser and uh, nothing good in me and, and, uh, and, and oh God, help. That doesn't glorify Him. Because that's a sinner. That's a pre-Christ person. A post-Christ person says, I'm alive in Christ. I've been, I, I'm victorious over sin in Christ. I've been risen from the dead. That glorifies Him. Did this get, is this getting through to anybody? I know the, I know the front area, you're getting it real good. I'm not sure about the backs. Here's what I think does not honor God. It is what I sometimes refer to as naked, wretched, and blind songs. Sometimes in church you hear this. I can't. Lord, it's just I beg of you and I'm pathetic and naked and wretched and blind and, and can do nothing. And, and, and people sing tears coming down. And, and, uh, and it's not glorifying to God. That's not worship. What worships the Lord? Acknowledgement of what Jesus did for us and that it worked. I mean, what? I mean, God gave His very best. He gave His Son. I mean, Jesus gave His life. I mean, there was no greater sacrifice, no higher cost, no greater payment. It was the Lord Jesus and He went through it all and He suffered greatly. One of the greatest things I can do to glorify God today is say, Thank you, Lord. I'm alive. I'm free. I'm in relationship with you. I've been given eternal life. I've been given victory over all this junk. That glorifies. That's why that ought to be. Our songs ought to be filled with that kind of language. Our, our, how we verbalize things to the Lord. It's not poor old me, Lord. Oh, it's so bad. But someday in heaven. No, right here, right now. We've already been changed. We've already been lifted. We've already been exalted in Christ. So that's how we present ourselves. Say, well, what about some of the... There's scriptures, there's psalms, and there's some of that kind of stuff. But that's pre-Christ. You've got to remember. All scriptures have to be interpreted in light of the cross. Which side we're on? We're on the good side. <laughs> it's just better over here. It really is. It's better. Redeemed. Saved. It's good. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 6. 1 Corinthians, the 6th chapter. Notice over here with me in the 19th verse, 619. It reads this way, Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit? Now think about that. Your what? Your body. Now, this is the body that wasn't born again. But, of course, your spirit's inside your body. Your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and you are not, what? You are not your own. That's an interesting thought, isn't it? You are not your own. How many times people to nowadays talking about my body, my life, my finances, my house, my job, my life. You know, one of the greatest revelations we can get that will help us going forward is that once you get saved, 
you don't own anything. Now, we're, we're, we're called, now I know we're joint heirs with Christ, but we're called stewards of the mysteries of God, stewards of His resources. One of the great things that we should understand is that everything I have is His. But here's the good thing. He's a really nice guy. I mean, God is so good, 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 good. So He lets us use stuff. And He'll let you enjoy life and eat good food and enjoy things of this world as long as, you know, that's just, they're His, but He's letting us use them. I mean, thank you, Jesus. (laughs) You know? But when it comes to all of our stuff and all of our... It's better off just to have this mindset. It's not about me. It's not about mine. It's not about what I own. It's about I've given my life to Him. I don't even own my body. Hmm. You know, some of the talk in the world, uh, you know, uh, usually, usually in relationship to women, talking about, well, my body. No one should be able to tell me what I can do with my body. Well, if you're a Christian, that, that language doesn't exist. It's not your body. You've been purchased by the Lord. His body. So I can do anything I want with my body. Then you're not saved. Sorry to say it, say it so like blunt like that. Once you get saved, you've turned your life over to Him. And He'll make it so good you can hardly stand it if you acknowledge that. But it is still the truth. It's not me. It's not mine. It's not... No, it's His. See, what that does now... And then it goes on... Let me re- finish reading here, verse 20. For you were bought at a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. Again, it brings this whole idea of worship back to not just the song I sing and the words that I express, but the life that I live. And, I, and, and my glory, that, the, the glory that comes from my life to God is, is um, to some degree expressed through what I do with my body. How I live. Do I let sin dominate it? Do I bring it as an offering to the Lord? Uh, a good question to ask ourselves when getting involved in any type of activity is, does this glorify God? Many times people have questions about certain activities, whether they're okay. People say, well, should a Christian do, he- do this, go here, eat this, drink this, smoke this, uh, chew this? Should a Christian get involved with all these things? Because, you know, frankly, we don't have scriptures on a lot of things, and we're, you know, we're in the New Covenant, so we're not under law anyway, we're under grace, and all things are lawful. They're not all helpful, but all things are lawful. And so it really comes down to the Spirit of God living in you, right? It, you know, Paul said, I'm not under the law, but I am led by the Spirit. Uh, and so what would the Spirit of God lead us to do? I think here's one thing that we can use as a tool to help discern what I should do, what I shouldn't do, and that is this. Does it glorify God? What do you want to do? What do you do? Does it glorify God? And if really in your heart you can say, you know, I'm not sure he's really glorified when I do this. I'm not sure he's taking any delight in this. Well, not because it'll change his love or your position in him, not for that reason, but just because you want to glorify him and you want worship to be a part of your life, you say, I'm going to stop this. I'm going to knock this off. I'm going to cut this out of my life because it's just not helpful. It's not God-honoring. It could be a hindrance. And here's where I'm going. 
what we want is consistency. If worship truly is life lived before God, our bodies presented before Him, I need consistency so it's not I'm living my life and then bing, I'm in a worship time now. And now I'm back down to living my life. Huh? And you got these rogue waves that come through your that come through your life. What, what was that? What was that? If you look back at a chart of your life, what was that spike? I went to church that day. <laughs> Me and the Lord, bam. We were like that. And then church was over and bam, we were like that. <laughs> You know, all of a sudden I'm back to me and God is somewhere. You know, I still believe in Him. I still love God. But we're just living life separate. In practical reality. Not positional. Positional, He'll never leave us. He'll never forsake us. Practical, where's it at? We want consistency. Consistency. That's one of the greatest troubles I see. Looking back at my own life, looking, looking at Christians, inconsistency. Meaning, uh, I worship God just in, in periods. Boop, worship the Lord, boop, back to me. And then so we never experience the fullness of what it can be. 1 Corinthians 10.31 says, Therefore, whatever you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all to the glory of God. Should I eat it? Should I drink it? Well, is the Lord glorified? That should be our question. We are created to be replicas of God. We're to look like Him. We're to act like Him. We're to talk like Him. We're to think like Him. We're to produce things like Him. That's when He gets the most glory. Just like, just like a parent. When they see their kids and they're, they're imitating their good behavior. <laughs> you know, parents feel good about that. They're, they're honored when their kids do what they've learned uh, from their parents. It's like... Bam. I mean, that's better than a, a child saying to their parent, you know, giving them some type of compliment. Dad, you're good at this. Dad, you're great. Mom, you're lo- you sure look good. You sure. More than that, more than those, more than a compliment coming from a child, a parent is honored and blessed when their kids do what they do. Right. More than a pra- more than a compliment to God. And that's not excluding this, because I love to just verbalize and express worship and praise to God. More than that, God is glorified when I act like Him. When I come ag- up against a situation, and I use His authority and His Word, and I deal with that situation just like D- Jesus would deal with it. And I didn't bow, and I didn't cry, and I didn't lift my hands, and I, but I acted like Him, and He's glorified. See, so, so worship then is, is much more than our worship time, a time of singing, uh, amen. Again, we're created to be like, if someone ever accused you of, of acting like God, uh, you have to give a, a hearty and sincere thank you. So I've been striving for that. And... Uh, and uh, so I appreciate you noticing that, and uh, I'm endeavoring to act my like God more and more and more. Now, if they mean you're bossing them around, that's a whole other story. But because <laughs> reality is, God's not bossing you around, so that's not really like God. But He's glorified in our conforming to His image. You know, I think about parents again, parents and, and children. Would a would a parent rather? That their child act with perfect 
you know, perfect etiquette and, you know, absolute compliance to all rules of title and adherence to, you know, those type of things. And, you know, I don't know if I'm saying this in the right way. Or would a parent rather their children just be in close relationship with them? Not to dismiss an, uh, 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 an attitude of honor and respect. Those are godly attributes. But if it were just about towing the line, stand up straight, keep your shoulders back, you know, wouldn't, it, wouldn't a parent rather have their child jump on their lap and love on them as opposed to just... And, and what I'm saying is sometimes it's that way when you mix in religion with a relationship with God is we learn how to act. And we learn, this is what we do, and this is what we say, and this is what we don't say, and this is where we go, and this is how often we go, and this is how we give. And, 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 and we've got all these things that we adhere to, and not all of those are bad. Sometimes, you know, man's tradition does enter into those things, but not everything there is bad. But I tell you what, it's a very poor substitute for jumping on dad's lap. It's a very poor substitute for a love relationship that he so desires. Paul wrote to the Romans in the 8th chapter, and he said, this, said, the Spirit in our hearts cries out, Abba, Father. That means Daddy. Daddy God. It's not the formal. It's not the, uh, you know, you are holy God, and that's because those things are, are true principles. He is our, uh, our Master, our Savior. He's our, you know, He's our Commander-in-Chief. But he's also dad. He's a, we also relate to him on a real personal level. Well, we're not concerned about saying it exactly right and doing everything exactly proper. It's just having a relationship with our Father. See, worship has got to have this. Otherwise, it gets too rigid, too stiff, too, I don't want to say, I don't want to do the wrong thing. Ah, chill. You're loved. Accepted in the, in the Beloved. He wants to wrap His arms around you, embrace you, and fill you with life and fix everything that's broken. We've got to approach Him that way. One of the things that's connected to our worship, our spiritual worship, presenting our bodies to God, again, back there in Romans 12, you know what it is? It's called the renewing of the mind. How can I worship God in my body, in other words, by not being dominated by sin, by sacrificing my flesh desires to Him. How can I do that continually unless I also think like Him? You know what the renewing of the mind is? It's this again. I was born again, my spirit was changed, but my mind still thought the same. I still had the body and mind of a sinner, even though I had a spirit of, a, of, of, an, of an eternal uh, connected person to God, of a born again person, right? I still had the wrong thoughts. Renewal of the mind says, I'm going to stop thinking the way I used to think, and I'm going to start thinking like God thinks. And I take His Word, I take His Spirit, He continually works with me, speaks to me, reveals things to me, and I change the way I think. How many know you can only change the way you behave if you change the way you think? We can, we can alter our behavior temporarily out of whatever, out of discipline, out of fear of, of consequence, out of for different reasons... 
But the only way I'm going to change my behavior continually is I've got to get my mind in line with my born-again spirit. And that's the renewal of the mind. So how do I worship God? It can come back to this. I've got to have right thoughts. I've got to have spirit and truth. My mind must be flooded with true things about the Lord. Then I can act that way with my body and glorify Him. Praise the Lord. Um, let, me, let me finish with this. And we'll come back and get into some more. Y'all coming back? Y'all come back now. You hear? Jesus in Mark chapter 7 quoted Isaiah, the prophet Isaiah from the Old Testament. In Mark chapter 7 and verse 6, he said, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me, and in vain they worship me. They honor me with their lips, but in, their heart is far from me. In vain they worship. Think about it. Worship can be vain. What they were doing, they thought, this is a real deal. God and, and me, we are tight. But Jesus said, no, you're not. No, it's vain. You're saying the right things. You're speaking some good stuff here. You're singing a song. You're saying some good stuff. But your heart is not, not there. What the Lord wants, I really believe, is a consistency with what's on the inside and what's on the outside. That there be words spoken, but they come from a heart that honors Him. We might be able to deceive people around us, but who cares what people around us think? I mean, we totally get over that. It's not about pleasing someone else. It's about, is it real with you? How I many know you, you're with you all the time? You're with other people now and then. But every time you get up, there you are. And we know where we stand with God. Amen. If you're single and you're interested in someone, and that someone you're interested in was, is only, has only become interested in God after they became interested in you, be leery. Hmm. See, that happened too many times. Seen people walk the aisle, coming to get their hearts to Jesus, but they really were giving their heart to someone else, or trying to get that person to give their heart their heart to them. Well, I sure got quiet on that one. <laughs> Say with well, it wasn't that way with me. My husband, wife, they led me to Jesus. Fine, if that's a real thing, I believe that that happens. But if you're going into a relationship and they don't have a relationship with God before they met you, you're not going to know. You're not going to know what the real deal is there. There could be a lot of phony baloney going on. What, we, what are we looking for? True worship. means I'm not doing it for you. I mean, you benefit because I'm connected with God. I benefit because you're connected with God. But I need to worship God because of this right here. Right here. With the Lord. Me and Him. You and Him. And so... For today, finishing up, what are we talking about? True worship, it happens when a person is born again, when they're made alive in spirit. True worship happens when we present our bodies to Him. Not just our time at church, but through our lives we present our bodies. True worship, number three. Uh, let, me sit, let me back up, number two. This doesn't mean if you ever fail in any way that you can't have a relationship or worship God. I'm not talking about getting into a works mentality where our acceptance by God is contingent upon our activity. 
That's contingent upon Jesus and our acceptance of Jesus. So don't, don't get into this mode. Man, I sure didn't glorify God with my body this morning before church, so it's fake with me. No, no, it doesn't have to be. It can be the real thing from the heart, but we recognize that as a component. His blood washes us clean from all sin. All right, needed to say that. Number three, then worship is having right thinking. It's having truth. It is thinking right about God. And four, worship, true worship is doing the will of God. And all these things, you know what? They're not real. I haven't really mentioned. Okay, lift your hands, sing this song, say these words, you know, pray in the Spirit, those type of things. That's what are all valid. But we want consistency of what we sing and what we glorify in, in this atmosphere and what we do with our lives all the time. Worship is first a lifestyle, and second, then, it's an act or it's, a, it's an expression to Him. Amen. Father, we love you today. We thank you for your faithfulness. Thank you for what you're doing in our, in our hearts, in our minds, in our bodies. Lord, you've given us life. We acknowledge you today as present. You don't have to go to this mountain or in Jerusalem or to Life Church or to some other place. But Lord, in the Spirit, we worship you. In spirit and truth we do. Every day and all the time. May our lives be bring glory to you. Father, I thank you that there's always a response from heaven whenever we call upon you. Never do we never is there silence. But there's always a response from you. And so, Father, I thank you even now. Even now, as we turn our hearts and our minds on you, that there's, there's distribution. There's distribution of spiritual activity. There's distribution of, of, of things, of healings. Backs are being restored even right now in the center, in the center of the back, being restored and made whole. Thank you for what you do, Lord. Thank you that you heal bodies and restore my, minds and, and emotional uh, degradation that has taken place. Now you bring joy and peace back. Lord, I speak life and not death, blessing and not cursing over every individual today. And, I, I, and I, I'm looking to you because I can't make it happen, but your spirit right now is bringing it to pass and bringing healing and bringing health and restoration in people's lives. Lord, you're glorified when we're, ris- when we're raised up. You were glorified when Lazarus was raised from the dead, not when he died. You're glorified in us when we're healed, when we're smiling. We have the victory now. So thank you for working in every person's body and life and mind today. In Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord.